Hi there, I'm Katie Cantu, strategist at Ignite Partnership. And I'm Mike Covert, founder of Ignite Partnership. You're listening to Technically Human, where marketing experts talk about how to find the soul in technology products and services. What really makes humans tick when it comes to tech? Join us on our cultural expedition to find out. This week on Technically Human, we're taking a minute to look back at the rise and fall of 2016 tech trends. Tis the season for 2017 predictions, but what about last year's predictions? As a marketing agency for technology companies, we can't help but geek out over the latest and greatest technologies and take note of their adoption rate, especially when it seems slower than predicted. But before we get down to business, I want to introduce you to our special guest this week, Justin Young. Justin is one of our digital creative directors here at Ignite Partnership. Hey, guys. Justin, you want to tell us a little bit about what you do at Ignite? Sure. Basically, if it's anything nerdy, I'm into it and I'm checking it out. And uh, I also am the digital creative director here. So if it's on a screen and sometimes even if it's not, I'm usually involved. Perfect. So also today we have our usual host, Mike Covert, back in the studio with us. Thanks for letting me back, Katie. Yeah. (laughs) I'll try to be better this time. No, we missed you. It's good to have you back. Awesome. So to kick things off, we have each decided to pick one technology trend that was supposed to reach its tipping point in 2016. Then we ask ourselves, did this actually happen? And it's also easy to see if you've been in the business as long as we have, that every year some of those trends keep reappearing. So let's go ahead and talk about some of the categories that we picked. Mike, you want to start us off? Yeah, I found I find this exercise really interesting. Um, and one acronym came to life to me right away. And it's probably dominating the trends for the last few years. And that's IOT or Internet of Things. But this time I wanted to make sure we looked at it from a consumer point of view versus a business point of view and machine to machine learning and interaction has been going on for quite some time. The real tipping point is how it affects consumer lives. Um, This is an industry that's been projected to grow 36% a year from now until 2020. That is hard to sustain. This is projected to be over 13 billion live consumer devices according to research by 2020. Wow. So I hope you did your part, Justin. You have your wearable on? Yes, I do. Okay. And Katie, I know you're a fan of this space. And really what this space is, is the way I think about it. Connected home, connected auto, your, your little mobile ecosystem. So that involves wearables. But how do you have individual consumer devices that talk to each other that make things either more convenient or contextually more relevant as you go about your daily life? Right. So in looking at that, what did you find, Mike? Did you, did you see that the consumer adoption rate did take off the way that it predicted? I suspect not, but I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I went less by, I can't figure out if it met expectations necessarily this year. For instance, Apple just reported its largest smartwatch quarter ever. Right. right? So there's definitely signs that people are adopting technology like wearables and bolstering their ecosystem with smart locks and security devices for their homes. You can kind of see it everywhere. What I was wondering, and why this made my list, is it just doesn't seem to be as pervasive from an individual life standpoint. Um, We're more technophile maybe than a lot of folks, maybe. Um, And so I'm thinking about the mainstream component of what will allow it to grow at that rate. And that's what I see some hesitancy on. That's what made me curious. I mean, I'll ask you guys outright, do you think that your friends, family, 
just you watching the world from a window, you think they're jumping upon, upon this IoT bandwagon? I think to a certain extent. I mean, you go through the store, you know, and you see, uh, you know, smart home things, you know, that you can talk to Google or whatever that thing is they have. I don't know the name of it, like a Siri equivalent or Amazon equivalent. But that's the thing is, I mean, 13 billion sounds like a lot. But it is a lot if it's one phone that you have in your pocket, but when your windows are online, you know what I mean? Or, or every tile that's on your roof, like the Tesla solar roof that they're coming out with later this year. Um, I, you know, I, I can't specifically say that each of those things will be online, but it's, it's a multiplying effect, you know what I mean? And as time goes by, especially, you know, right now, maybe you don't upgrade the house that you have, but you know, starting this year and moving forward, more, more and more pieces of your house are going to be coming online as time goes by. Now, to your point, did it actually take off this year? Is this like a wholly adopted thing? That is probably questionable to, to say that. Holy adoption. Is that a thing? And I coined a new phrase. <laughs> and I thought he also said that each individual smart tile is going to count as a unit towards the 20 billion. You don't think, you don't think that's how they're counting it? I don't know. Why would they? as opposed to one roof. What's yeah. smart? Is it the tile or is it the roof? Is it I, the flock I, or is it the sheep? I say I say individual pieces. So like for huh. instance, your your windows, um, you wouldn't count all the windows as your house as one device. Those are individual right. devices. And so if you have 20 windows, that's like 20 yeah. devices right there, just windows. That's interesting. Yeah, so Mike, you and I were actually talking about this a couple of days ago because you know we each made our list of the predictions that we saw from 2016 and then it was like, what struck a chord with us that really didn't reach its tipping point. And and this one did not make my list. Several other things did. But the reason it didn't make my list is because for me and my family, 2016 was like the year of the connected home, right? So we got AT&T Digital Life, which is like connected home security. Um, we also invested in the Amazon Echo, uh, which interfaces with some of that. And my husband bought me a smartwatch, which controls stuff at the house. So for me and for some of my immediate family, it's easy to see that that adoption rate has taken off. But I'll tell you what I can um, really empathize with is some of the hurdles to adopting this connected home lifestyle. Did you, did you see a lot of that, Mike? I have my own thoughts there, but. If you had to guess, what is one of the more common hurdles? I found two. Yeah. So, so for me, from personal experience, it was, you know, taking the leap, being willing to invest in this, but then running into the issue of things don't talk to each other yet. Right. So it's like you can't put all your eggs in one basket because that basket doesn't do everything yet, but your eggs can't talk to each other either. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that beautiful time when there's kind of one technology that allows you to jump. Think, in, think back to the first DVR. Mm -hmm. TiVo. There was either you TiVoed or you didn't. And it allowed for mass adoption. But now for kind of the newer entries, you do have choices. Mm -hmm. And so I find the complexity is listed quite a bit, not just in seamless interfaces or ecosystems, but also in user interface. Um, also in what is the value it's bringing to you. So health and fitness is the most common reason, or Katie, in your case, security, home security. Mm -hmm. But Beyond that, what is truly necessary versus novel? And, right. and so as you kind of make that leap, 
um, especially if something's more expensive, novel just doesn't translate into experimenting. The way I think about technologies is not necessarily the things that we do that change, it's how we do them. Where, whereas you could think that they are a novelty or they seem like a novelty in some instances, there are also a lot of instances maybe that we haven't even implemented yet or that people are working on or they haven't really worked out all the kinks of it. Any, play, any opportunity where you can make things easier for people and basically give them back more time or take out steps to them accomplishing something, there's an opportunity for like large adoption there. Because I mean, obviously people are busy, they're overworked. And if you can, even though it might be a novelty to show your friend that you can unlock your front door <laughs> from your phone or whatever, um, whenever you really want that package from FedEx and you're not home, uh, and you see from your doorbell camera that the FedEx guy is there and you can, you know, speakerphone him through your doorbell, suddenly that becomes a very valuable thing, whereas before it was just like a novelty. I think that's a really good point, Justin. And as marketers, that's our job. There's complexity in the way of making this choice. We're not the only ones saying it. You can read the reports. You can see that it is a confusing thing to just jump into on a, in an impulse way. So as marketers, how can we paint those stories that show the true benefit of doing this? Yeah. And also, how can we make it really easy to understand how to jump into it, that you're not going to make a mistake, that you're not going to be like me, buy a smart thing and then have to end up buying 10 other smart things to make the original smart thing work, which happened to me recently. Mm -hmm. I'm not bitter. <laughs> well, yeah, just to jump in, I mean, also the part of the reason why a lot of these things don't talk to each other is because it's so new. And as this ecosystem grows you know, it's going to be more and more cumbersome to get all these things to talk together. And there's going to, they're going to have to figure out ways to make it really easy uh, for people to integrate this stuff because otherwise they won't use it. You know what I mean? If it's too hard to use, people are just going to skip it. But if we don't figure out how to solve what you just said and paint those pictures, I kind of wonder how patient the buying public is going to be to allow for the growth that's been projected, including what was really the first year is expected to be mass adoption, which was really this year in the home and in everyone's personal life. But there, there's one more reason that they expect this may not come to fruition. Do y'all know what that is? Nope. What is it? Security. Mm -hmm. You've all heard the tale about the smart teddy bear that gets hacked by a satanic cult master. I have heard that one. Right? And then suddenly you find out because it was insecure that your child is listening to messages from a stranger that you didn't expect in your home. Right? Right. I don't know that that actually happened. And I kind of wonder if people actually care that much. But Katie, imagine um, what you'd think if I told you 75% of smart locks have recently been proven to be uh, compromised. Mm. You know, how does that smart lock feel now? Yeah. Well, well, but to, to not so smart. Well, but that's a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a smart lock that's fine, but also like you know, what percentage of of tip or traditional locks can be compromised by a locksmith if you wanted right, to get in? Right. That's a hundred, almost a hundred percent. So or my foot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. A lot of times, people are afraid about their information like floating around and all this and that. But the reality is, is there's security in the anonymity of this thing, and because it because they're everybody's information is all floating around, the likelihood of you getting picked off out of that crowd is almost zero. So in most cases, that's the thing, is it might be that 75% of these locks could or have been proven that you can, you know, break the security in these things and get inside. But what's really the likelihood of that happening to you? Almost zero. I, I actually think just looking at a list of reasons that people believe there may be barriers to getting to this mass oh, adoption. Okay, gotcha. I believe this one is not there. It's just commonly cited. I think a large part of the public has already uh, come to peace 
with the fact that our stuff is out there, accessible by a lot of people that we don't know or necessarily like, and this is just a new step in that. I don't really believe that's going to be a differentiator uh, for you and your smart lock. Um, one thing I was going to add when we were talking earlier about um, the competition and the multiple options that are out there and how at least one of the big barriers for me has been that things don't talk to each other, right? Like, what if I buy something and then it's not compatible? As marketers, I think we have a unique opportunity to position brands as, you know, your go-to source for a connected home. So as we work with the Samsungs of the world, um, we're able to tell a story about the connected home and get people into an ecosystem. So there's a real unique chance to leverage the loyalty play. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, that makes a lot of sense. If it's just one thing that you have in your home, maybe it's not really, there's not enough weight there to pull you into that system. But, you know, a lot of stuff that I've read is like in order to get somebody to switch from something that they have right now that works for them it has to be 10 times as better. So if you're just switching from, you know, one phone to another, one type of home security system to another, eh, okay, maybe, maybe not. If it seems like the same thing, I can't really tell. But if suddenly it's like, oh no, it's like my roof is online, my windows and my, and it uses this one ecosystem. And it's like, you don't have to do anything except call a phone number. And they're like, yeah, we'll have it on Thursday. Then, uh, then then that's really what will get this moving forward, I feel like. is not just one little piece here and there like a lot of companies are doing right now, but integrating all these things together, that's really where the value will come from and people will start to recognize that more. Right. You know, it's funny. I So I grew up as a kid watching shows like The Jetsons is the one I always think about when I think about technology and the connected home. And Justin, I'm sure you thought about it this way because you have very much of a developer mind. But as a kid and growing up and hearing like, there's going to be flying cars and all of these technologies yeah, that like, we can't even imagine. It. Um, it never crossed my mind like, oh, there's going to be different types of these things and they might not all work together. You know, you would watch the Jetsons and everything was just seamless and they weren't choosing between a brand, you know, or things weren't malfunctioning. And I'm sure that's always kind of been in the back of your mind. But for somebody who doesn't have that development background, I don't know. I just didn't consider that there would be like operating systems for things. Yeah. I mean, you don't ever see George Jetson like getting frustrated and throwing his phone across the room. You right. Know? I mean, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, Apple is a good example of like closed systems. You know what I mean? That you can't really hook other pieces in unless it's Apple. And until there are more systems like that that integrate everything, um, there's going to have to be sort of like go between bridges, you know, that you can use to, you know, sort of cobble these things together. And in the interim, that's very frustrating for people that are not like, for instance, my parents, they would never do that. Mm -hmm. But like me, I would sit all weekend and figure out how to like turn on my porch light from Africa or something. You know what I mean? I would mm -hmm. spend like a ridiculous amount of time <laughs> on this thing to do this cool little party trick. But um, you know, for me, that's easy and I'm interested in it, but it's a lot harder for people to, when things don't work together that way, for them to even bother with it, you know? And I think until this gets more intuitive for the mass buying public that can allow a trend like this to come to fruition, um, it just won't. It'll be specialized. It'll be niche versus uh, at some point, can you imagine a home without some sort of way to record content? It's probably out there, but it just doesn't, it seems like almost baseline now. And at some point, having a video uh, player or a camera on your doorbell to be able to open up the door for the FedEx man or woman from afar, that will probably be the, the kind of baseline. 
but I think we need to make it a lot simpler first. Totally agree. Yeah. So IoT. Um, what else, Katie? What else did you notice that may or may not have met the expectations of 16? So a couple of things made my list, um, but ultimately what uh, what was at the top of that list was mobile payments. So I feel like we're going on about at least year two, potentially year three of everybody saying like, this is the year, right? So especially with wearables really taking off and you know, the Samsung gear and having Apple Pay on a watch, you know, the wallet. Um, I think everybody kind of expected us to all be walking around, like holding our watches up to credit card scanners and swiping from our phone. And, you know, I'm just really not seeing that. And the truth is, I actually, um, in in the past months and since I have gotten a smartwatch, have kind of tried to use that and thought, huh, you know, that might be kind of convenient. Um, And what's interesting about it is despite me getting over like the consumer hurdle of being able to do that, I've found a lot of places still are not capable of facilitating that transaction. Um, What about you guys? Do you use any type of mobile payment? Uh, Yeah, I do. I like it. I mean, of course, I'm like a super nerd. So any kind of stuff like that, I'm immediately on board. Um, It's cool. But that's the thing is like it's not necessarily it doesn't make my life that much better it doesn't make my life that much easier it's a fun like trick to do for people mm-hmm. and a lot of times when I do it I, I've, I'm like very self-conscious about bringing attention to myself and so doing that in a store I everybody's like "Ooh, well look at you and I'm like yeah yeah I know but like I want to try this thing out it's like super fun so it's uh it's a cool trick but it's I personally feel that it's like sort of like brings too much attention to me. It's interesting that you said it's a cool trick because that's how it does feel. It feels like we said before earlier talking about IoT, it still feels really novel. Like you have to really try to use your mobile payment. It's, it doesn't feel yeah. as intuitive as it could be. Unlike drawing attention to myself though, Justin, I, I love your story, but I feel the opposite when I try and be that guy in line that's going to use mobile payments. And then I'm actively, honestly, actively discouraged from people on the other side of the POS machine that say, no, no, we don't do that mm-hmm. when they might. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing um, how hesitant it is, even from a retailer perspective. Maybe they don't understand it, but I don't find that, uh, number one, I'm being encouraged to change my average payment behavior. Hmm. Interesting. I think you're right in that because they, I mean, they don't, there's a lot of places that I go to, they still don't even take a chip card. You know what I mean? And the reason is because they have to like switch out their whole system and it's expensive and all that. So uh, I think that those, both of those things came sort of at the same time. And more and more, I see them, you know, together where you can use mobile payments and you can use a chip, but it's sort of like both or none type situation. Yeah. So you so you brought up the the chip, Justin, and I think that's a really good point because what I see as one of the major barriers to mobile payments having taken off in 2016 is that you've probably noticed retailers nationwide have switched to these chip readers, um, and it's been expensive, man. Like it's been a huge investment for them to switch to that. Um, but what they did, and this is really a huge miss, and I 
it, it's hard to say, you know, who's to blame or to point the finger here. But a lot of those, like Justin said, they're combo card readers that will read the chip and then they also have NFC technology. Um, some of them are not and they don't have the NFC capability. So companies who just invested honestly, millions and millions of dollars upgrading their hardware here to take chip reader and then didn't add on the NFC capability, it's going to be a long time before they go back and switch so that they can accommodate things like the Apple Wallet or Samsung Pay, right? Because the truth is, there's really nothing in it for them as a retailer right now. Then who's pushing it? Like who? What, what is the force behind mobile payment What's the major stakeholder really pushing this? And what do they get? I mean, the, the stakeholders are the people that are manufacturing this technology, you know, and promoting it to be like, oh, this is like, that's cool. I need to get that. I, I think it's an interesting category because there are so many stakeholders and players, and some of them are not the usual suspects, right? So you have Apple, who's created the wallet. You have Samsung, who's got Samsung Pay and is partnered with credit cards. We've also seen banks come out this year with their own proprietary form of mobile payment, right? So that's in an effort to get somebody to switch and join a different financial institution to take advantage of their proprietary technology. Yeah, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because Walmart is developing their own, uh, you know, digital wallet right. type system, I guess. Um, and yeah, when I first got my watch, I was like, oh, cool. I'll like go to Walmart because I knew that they had NFC stuff in their registers. And it's like, no, we don't do that here. And then I start seeing, you know, as time went on, more and more things of like Walmart pay, I think is what they call it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in that regard, there there is a lot of incentive for retailers to do that. It's it, it, the equivalent of like a Neiman Marcus card or something. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So the other the other thing I think is interesting is, you know, we're talking about this, we're referring to it as mobile payments. But actually, the primary way that I have used this and dip my toes into this technology, I can't say that um, I didn't feel really similar to the way that Justin described, which was like, I attracted way too much attention to myself. But there was a, a good use case there more than just novelty is um, I travel quite a bit. And so I have the Apple Watch, which my husband bought for me, which in and of itself has been pretty novel. But one thing I really like about it is it has the wallet on there. And so you can add your boarding pass to the wallet on your watch. And instead of, you know, trekking around the airport holding all of your bags and your phone in your hand that contains your boarding pass or digging in your bag to pull that out, you're able to just pull it right up on your watch and scan it to get on the plane. So I really liked that because I'm always doing like the airport shuffle, right? Which is where I'm about to drop something and like step on a pretzel I just bought. But when I did this, um, I was at Virgin Atlantic and they were like, what? We've never seen that before. And then Really? Like, that place hasn't seen Yes. That? Which of all airlines, I, I love Virgin, big fan of them. If you're interested in sponsoring Ignite Partnership, feel free to contact us. Um, but yeah, I, I was surprised that they hadn't seen it because, you know, they have an app and are usually like on top of their tech game. But then, of course, everybody looked out of line and it was like one person was like, that doesn't work here. And then it did work. And they were like, well, I didn't know that worked. It was just, it was too much, you know? So I actually considered the next time I was like, I'm, I don't think I'm going to do it, you know? I think you make a really good point about a clear use case. There is a clear convenience benefit to this. Yeah. There's also a clear 
benefit on the other side, which is closer access to people's purchase decisions and regular decisions for someone that may want to sponsor this and really get a hold of the data to help make Katie's world easier in even other ways and anticipate what she needs besides boarding Virgin, which what, you fly like once a week, twice a week? No. (laughs) Four times a week? No. Okay. No. So, Justin... What about you? We've, we've talked about a couple of different things. We've talked about um, Internet of Things, Connected Home, mobile payments. What, what made your list? What stood out to you as like, oh, my gosh, we've been hearing about this for years and nothing? Two letters, V-R. Really? Yes. I, I mean, it's don't get me wrong. I think it's great. I love it. It's awesome. It's super fun. But... It, I mean, the, you know, leading up to this year and even this whole year, still, you hear about it a lot. And that's the thing is, I mean, you hear about it a lot, but it's I don't feel like it's as publicly adopted as it is made out to be a lot of the time. And I also don't think that there is just recently has it really started to take hold, I feel. And I don't mean recently, like in the last six or nine months. I mean, in like the last like four or five weeks, really, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. Um, And to give you a perfect example, uh, I went to GameStop probably, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. And uh, they had when you walk in, you know, I just got an Xbox. So I'm like, okay, I'm super gung ho (laughs) about video games. right? I got to go to go to GameStop and check it out. Mm-hmm. So I walk in, they have an attendant there that has a PlayStation, the new PlayStation with like the virtual reality goggles and all this. And he cleans it off for you and everything. And like I sat down and played a game and it was cool. Yeah, it was cool. But the thing is like, this is like the end of October, you know what I mean? And there's still an, att- it's, it's such a novel, not a novelty. It's such a new thing still that they, that PlayStation or that Sony feels the need to you know, have a representative there to like explain how this thing works mm. and show people here's how you hold the controllers and here's how you how you use this mm-hmm. thing. Um, and, you know, in addition to that point, I was walking through Walmart the other day and I saw a stacked up display, you know, in the aisle like they have in the middle of VR goggles. It was probably like a thousand pairs or something uh-huh. sitting there. And I was like, okay, now, in my opinion, now this is going to be like a pretty proliferating thing because one especially once it goes into places like walmart i mean Uh it's going to be everywhere and they had a lot of them sitting there and you know of course like in anticipation for christmas so i really feel like next year is going to be where vr becomes really like a mainstay in entertainment for people yeah it's interesting that you mentioned walmart because actually just last night i was at jc penny doing some christmas shopping and you know, in the line there, they have all of kind of the as-seen-on-TV gifts and then sharper image kind of comes out of the woodwork and has like some holiday stuff there. And then there was just this, I couldn't even tell you what brand it was. It was a no-name brand. It was like virtual reality headset. And I thought, okay, like, here we go, right? right? Yeah, now it's a Because thing. like somebody's grandparents are going to be in line and be like, I've heard the kids talking about that and grab one of those. I'm not sure if it'll work with any smart device, right? But um, for it to be in the checkout line of JCPenney was kind of like, huh, okay, yeah, maybe we're getting somewhere. Right, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I thought when I saw it too. I was like, okay, somebody's grandma is going to hear that you know, their grandson once is really interested in virtual reality. And she's like, oh, this would be a great gift for Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I feel, well, like to give another example is the, did you guys do the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade 
360 VR video experience. Did you guys see that? No. They only said it a couple times like during the parade, but I'd heard about it leading up to that. And it was really cool. I mean, they had different viewpoints from around the city. And I mean, I used to live in New York, so it was cool to be able to put these goggles on and look around and see like, oh yeah, I remember like what's behind Macy's and I remember what's over here and you can see the whole city. And that was, for me, that was cool because, you know, it reminded me of living there. Um, but my family came over for Thanksgiving dinner and I was showing them this thing and they were, their minds were like exploding. They had never seen anything like this before. And right, like I said, here it is the end of the year almost. And they had never looked at any of this stuff before. And they were like blown away by how cool it was. Mm-hmm. I guess it comes down to this, what makes for a trend. And, and I can say quite confidently that VR at the end of 16 is a very different beast than VR at the beginning of 16. There are now multiple ways to get involved. The content available to enjoy it is through the roof now compared to where it was even 12 months ago. Um, And you could argue that when different generations that are probably need to be introduced by another generation that's closer to technology are now asking for it or involved, seeing the commercials, wondering what it is, that tells me the foundation is there, that this really possibly has been the year of VR, even though to your point, Justin, the maturity of it will certainly take another step forward next year because now there's a proven market to invest further in it. But you needed 16 to have 17. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I see your point, but also the thing is too, is like when people first, when Netflix came out, I don't consider early adoption to be the quote unquote official year of whatever this thing is. To me, that's like the, like you said, it's the lead up to that. But like now Netflix is a thing for sure, undeniable. Whereas like leading up to this year, it was like, well, is this really going to be the year for VR? Is it going to be next year? It's sort of like squishy there. And it wasn't until really just the last few months, I feel like to where it was like, okay, everybody, we're doing this. Here we go. I think another test will be, um, you know, and we, we do this all the time as marketers. It's our job to explain things in simple terms, right? To to help speed up that adoption rate. And so a test for me of whether or not a trend has taken off is can the average consumer describe that technology? And so that's where I would say with VR, we're, we're not quite there yet, right? Like I can think of immediate family members, like I work in this industry and Probably my dad cannot explain to you what VR is yet. He may never use it, and he may never be a heavy user of it, but, like, he can tell you what Netflix is. He knows what Spotify is, right? Like, he can describe that streaming technology that was truly so foreign to us even five years ago. Yeah. There's no doubt VR has a lot of things going for it right now. The question is, can we get to an accessibility point? Um, You could argue with the the need to have a smartphone, and a smartphone accessory as the lowest common entry point? Would y'all think, is that still the lowest common entry point? Yeah, I that, think so. That there still needs to be some innovation. I guess really um, Google Goggle or Google Cardboard, but that uses a smartphone too. Right, yeah, okay. you still have to have a smartphone. So I wonder cardboard. what's next to allow mass adoption, multiple units per household, for instance, to allow this to be a true group experience versus uh, lock myself in the room and it's my time to have the VR headset and the smartphone of the house. I mean, I, I think that there is a lot of value in VR, but to me, the real holy grail um, of R is AR. So the difference between 
AR and VR is VR is for entertainment, but AR will fundamentally change how we interact with the world around us. And so that I think is when you get into having multiple headsets and people collaborating and, you know, it's like a group experience because you're, it, it takes the, it takes a normal situation and like adds the metaverse on top of that. And there's a lot of things that you gain, um, in, in doing that, that you can't really get through VR or just, you know, having like a conversation and watching a movie in your living room or whatever. So maybe VR is like a gateway technology to understanding the power of what this could be. But, um, is the way you're describing AR, is it also referred to as uh, mixed reality? Uh, I don't, I don't technically know if it's exactly this, if it's exactly the same thing, but I mean, yeah, I think a, an overlap. Let of, me go to our producer. Is that okay. the same thing? We got an affirmative. Okay, we got a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point, Justin. I was my head was right in that same space as when we were talking about connected home, and Mike made the point that was like, we've really reached the tipping point. We've really reached a point where this isn't a trend anymore when the utility can be proven. And I think that's kind of the case with VR, right? Because right now it's still seen as an entertainment function or truthfully a, a bit of a novelty. I know we've used that word a lot today. Um, but at the point where we see that technology being integrated in ways that benefit businesses and training and education, then I think we're really going to see it fundamentally change the way we live um, day to day versus like it's VR time. It's not VR time. Just like back with a mobile phone, you know, that seemed like such a novelty. And now it's unthinkable that you'd go out of the house without it. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, with any new technology like that, especially to begin with, it's just going to be like a cool trick. But as time goes by and there is more and more adoption and more and more people get their hands on this thing, it will really start to, if, if it has the possibility to do that, which I think that augmented reality really does, is it will start to shift into places that people never even really thought that it would go into to begin with. And there will be huge value that, you know, swaths of value that will open up in taking this technology and pointing it in a, in a direction where you can get more than just like, a, oh, that's pretty cool out of it, where it becomes like a useful thing. And then we start to rely on that eventually, you know, like cars and everything else. Even thinking about um, what our professional anchor is here, which is marketing, um, having obviously experienced some work in, in the VR realm, and that's still really interesting and fruitful, worth exploring. The idea of mixed reality or augmented reality probably will add more value to the buyer's journey long term than what you would define as really VR now. Yeah, I mean, AR has, it just has a lot more legs, you know, the, where VR sort of just stops at your face, whereas augmented reality stops at anything that you can imagine, you know, in your sphere of vision. No, your face. My, oh, my face. <laughs> right. VR fundamentally is an isolating experience where augmented reality actually brings more into the space that you're in instead of taking you out of the space where you are. Absolutely. That's interesting. Let me ask the group a question. What of the three areas we talked about has the best chance to evolve into something much bigger next year? We talked about IoT. Specifically, the consumer use cases like smart home and those uh, consumer ecosystems. We talked about mobile payments and we talked about VR. Katie, what is going to explode next year? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's always hard to say. I guess out of those three, the the choice for me is obvious because 
Um, it's everything, right? The internet of things is, I think it's no longer going to become a category, much in the way that we talk about technology. Technology is not a specific thing. There aren't things that are tech and aren't. It will be everything is connected and everything is a technology. Um, so I don't know that it's actually going to fully happen in 2017. There's certainly a trajectory there, but the components are there. I, th I think the signs are pointing to um, people are bridging the gaps. They're expanding their ecosystem of products and making them talk to one another. So it's it's really up to brands to um, to prove that they're the one for customers in that journey. Justin, which area are you pl placing your bet on? Uh, I'm going to have to go with VR, partially because I picked it. But, uh, <laughs> but also, I feel like the whereas I agree with Katie that the Internet of Things will become more and more popular, you know, this year specifically, but also moving forward, the barrier of entry to that is pretty high. And also the cost associated with that is high, you know, which is part of that. Uh, whereas VR is, yeah, like, like we talked about is, you know, you walk down the aisle at Walmart and there's, you know, a pair of goggles that you can put your phone into for like 15 bucks or something. So, um, I feel like because of the barrier of entry is so low with VR this next year that that's going to be really more popular. Not necessarily, I don't think it's necessarily going to be more popular, but I think it will really start to become really prevalent. Mm, can't tiptoe your way out of it now, Justin. What about you, Mike? I think the one with the, with the more traditional, um, I guess, rate of change for what you would say is exponential is VR. Uh, like Justin said, many fewer barriers. I think the one that's going to take of all these just to kind of not re-answer the way Justin did, but the one that's, I think, going to be more difficult because there's certain stakeholders that have to still get on board is mobile payments, which is sad because I can definitely see the utility mm -hmm. of, of getting there. I just think those barriers are probably more out of, feel out of the control yeah. of what is currently in the market to allow it so. Agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, we are certainly interested in hearing your thoughts on the trends of 2016 that just didn't quite come to fruition. Of course, in the coming months, we will be talking about some of our predictions for the coming year, what we think is going to be big in the world of technology and marketing for technology brands. But in the meantime, holler at us on Twitter, our social media channels, and let us know what were you most surprised by in 2016 when it comes to tech trends. Thanks for listening to Technically Human, and we will talk to you soon. Ignite Partnership is the marketing agency for technology companies that want to understand and capitalize on complex buyer journeys. Ignite has brought life to tech since 2009. To find out more, visit ignitepartnership.com.